The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you. The last time we saw Mr. Alistair, he was headed off into the sunset to start his life anew. Well, on this Tentacle Tuesday, we pick up on his story as we make acquaintance to the lovable misfits of the Café Solfeggio. What is this unusual place, and what significance does it hold in our story? As required, I must remind you that this story does tend to contain graphic violence, child endangerment, and naughty, salty language. <laughs> Got to love that. Now snuggle up under a blanket with a nice cup of coffee as we rejoin our story with Chapter 5, The Café Solfeggio! <laughs> the Café Solfeggio was a roadside anomaly for the heavily traveled road of Route 384, a picturesque two-story cottage meticulously landscaped, set back about a hundred feet away from traffic. Most people would miss it as they drove by, and to be honest, it was a place not meant for most people. The building had a model railroad feel to it, deep blue slate walls with rich chocolate brown wood trim around the four main windows. Under each window sat a large wooden flower box filled with an array of flowers or decoratives depending on the season. From the sparse parking lot ran a rich colored brick path until it reached a small porch and an unusually large white front door. Etched in black from the top left of the door to the door handle ran a musical staff, and written in gold, like notes on a staff, was the words Café Solfeggio in script. Any visitors, and I repeat, these are rare, are met instantly with two distinct but luscious smells. The first is the scent of burning pine and hickory coming from the cast iron stove in the kitchen. The second the almost magical, invisible, finger-like pull of the scent of coffee. It seemed to lift your spirits no matter what ailed you, and it was something Caitlin Maxwell could never tire of. She took a deep breath and returned to sweeping the main foyer, trying desperately not to get dust on her black slacks or shoes. As she did so, the familiar sound of whistling met her ears. It was a sweet, sad song, something that wouldn't act as an earworm, but yet hung strangely in the air. She looked over to see the lengthy figure of Terence White emerge from the kitchen, drying a coffee mug that simply read, Blessed. Caitlin marveled a little at her boss. He almost seemed to glide behind the four-and-a-half-foot-tall maplewood coffee bar. He glanced over at her, and she immediately blushed a little. Terence had a James Bond feel to him. He was dashingly handsome, and like her, dressed in black slacks, a white pressed shirt, and a black bow tie. Essentially, he was a secret agent, but not like the ones in the movies. Ironically, everyone who worked at the cafe was. They all worked in his service, Aldone, and the Living Word. The former owner, Jack Stevens, used to call them his lovable misfits. Jack had set up several coffee houses like this one around the country as a front for an organization called Sacred Dawn. They were places of refuge for the lost and chosen. They were places to grow and train. Most importantly, they were a counter to the Cadric Order. Caitlin had come into service here about a year after Jack saved her. 
How old was she? She tried to recall. Eight? Nine? Jack had managed to save her from an ancient monster called Elantros. Unfortunately, that demon did manage to escape and still roams causing chaos and death wherever it comes forth. Even Mr. Alistair has been unable to contain it. Mr. Alistair. She thought about him. He was a strange one. Not a bad strange. Just unusual. He was one of the lost. She thought back to the night that he came to the cafe. Outside, a fierce storm was brewing, forcing them to close down operations for the night. Jack was standing where Terence is now. Caitlin at the time was more or less a bellhop, taking the rare guest to a room when needed. She had just come downstairs when lightning lit up the sky, causing her to let out a small shriek when it illuminated a large man stooping in the doorframe. He was demonesque in form, his skin red and scarred, his face long, and his eyes sad, ancient. Where once horns raised to the sky in defiance to Aldone now sat stumps. Both her and Terence froze in place as he looked up from his broom as a clap of thunder echoed across the valley. Jack, however, just smiled put down a cup on the counter and poured some coffee. He pointed to the seat, indicating for the demon to sit. Then, turning to Caitlin, he said, Caitlin? Yes, sir? Can you please take our guest's coat and grab him a warm, dry towel? Yes, sir. Terrence? Sir? Be so good as to grab a mop. It would do us no good if one of our friends or guests slipped on the wet floor. Yes, sir. Right away. He ran down the hall and grabbed the mop. Caitlin took the large man's cloak and hung it. She handed him a towel and waited for him to finish drying off before retreating to the stairs. While the cafe was infamous for taking in strays, a demon was something else. Please, Jack said. Drink. Alistair did so. His eyes narrowed a little as he sized Jack up. There was something familiar about him but he couldn't quite place what it was. I know you're no longer referred to as Malinthorn, and my contacts have kept a close eye on you since you re-emerged from the waste. Jack poured a second cup. So, how should we call you? Alistair wasn't surprised at all that someone had been keeping tabs on him. It was to be expected. He was an ex-demon after all. I am called Alistair now. He replied. Oh, interesting name, Jack said with a smile, a glimpse of amethyst flashing in his eyes. Alistair stood directly up. You! How can this be? Easy, Mr. Alistair, easy, Jack replied. You're among friends here. Alistair slowly sat back down, although he did mentally note that both the young man and woman had taken up stances with the intent to kill if he had made one wrong move. While the girl was young, both he and the boy were strong enough to take him down, if they so desired. Terence, Caitlin, it's fine. I know Mr. Alistair here. Why don't you two uh, prepare him a room upstairs? He'll be staying with us for a while. Meanwhile, he and I have much to talk about. They both bowed slightly and headed upstairs. Alistair shook his head in amazement. I see you've rebuilt your order since the last time we met. 
Yes, but we tend to keep to the shadows more these days. We have many more to protect and lost individuals to find. Is that how you see me? Alistair asked, still trying to sort out his emotions. Although far older, this was the man who had beaten him so badly in battle. I see you, as I saw you then, Jack said. A possibility. But, and he grumbled a little as he asked it, how did you know? Because during those ten years that you hunted down the Sullivan Gates, you never actually killed any of my people. What do you mean? I took great joy. And then almost in an embarrassed whisper, slaughtering them. I, Mr. Alistair, while you were very efficient at destroying the gates, you missed my people's vital points every single time. At first, we weren't sure if it was accidental, but ten years of that poor marksmanship from Malandorn the Destroyer? We knew something must be amiss. Then Jack noticed the look on his face and laughed a little. <laughs> you didn't even realize, huh? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, your former co-conspirator did, and then proceeded to do everything he could to set you up. What he didn't count on was Aldone's grace, and that's where I come in. I was asked to evaluate you while in combat, and well, you know the rest of the story." Alistair shook his head. His heart had kept him from seeing the change. He had only believed that he had been destroying things as the famed demon Malinthorn. He had been lying to himself, and both Aldone and Ekmalak had noticed. It's strange how sometimes you only see what you want, not the truth. But that doesn't answer all my questions. Um... Alistair realized he didn't know this man's name yet. Jack put out his hand with no hesitation. I'm Jack. Jack Stevens. Alistair took it. And like when he had taken Arista's hand in the waist, Jack's hand was much smaller than his own, yet... It contained the same unimaginable amount of energy. Jack smiled and said, Come, indicating for him to follow him into the kitchen. Alistair did so, ducking under the doorframe. I believe your sponsor said we should talk in private. You know. You know about the girl. I know a little about her, not everything, Jack replied. She lives just outside of time. Those who meet her see her either in armor, as an adult ready for that day. Others that meet her see her as a little girl about ten years old, usually on a swing. She's waiting for someone, someone who was only born a few years ago. He swallowed something he shouldn't have and created tremendous ramifications. The Cadric Order has targeted him for annihilation. Then I must go at once, Alistair exclaimed. I swore an oath to protect him and train him. Jack smiled. I am well aware of your task, but 
As of now, that boy is only six years old and barely remembers the incident. When I spoke to his parents, they weren't ready to let him go. And realizing how they had just lost a child, I let them be. Plus, I don't think a seven-foot demon showing up at their door would go over so well. Alistair grumbled. Probably not. Then what should I do? Well, how are you at cooking, Mr. Alistair? Over the next few months, Alistair trained in the kitchen with Jack and Terrence. He seemed a better fit as a chef than Jack, especially with the heat of the wood stove. Finally, late one afternoon, Jack called them all together. I know that this may seem abrupt to you, but I'm stepping down from my duties here. Wait, what? Terrence exclaimed as Caitlin turned ashen. Jack had always been here. With the arrival of our big friend here, I now know that certain things have been set in motion that would change the dynamics of the world we live in. Besides, I've been charged with a special task I can't refuse. He put the picture of his grandson and a note from his parents into his pocket. Who is going to lead us now? Terence asked nervously. Well, that would be you, Mr. Terence, Jack replied. But... Now he looked pale. No buts, Terence, Jack smiled. You've grown into quite the warrior, and I feel very confident leaving this here with you. He handed him a four-foot-long black cloth. It shimmered as if covered in the very stars that showed above in the sky. Put that in the vault. While none of you can use it, it should stay here for now. But Mr. Stevens, Caitlin protested, isn't that yours? Didn't Mikkel forge that just for you? I have wielded it, yes, Jack replied. But in truth, it's not mine. And it's on a well. You'll find that out one day, as well as I. They all hugged as Alistair watched. He felt awkward. In some ways, he felt responsible for the transition. Jack sensed that and came over to him. Alistair? Yes, Mr. Stevens. I am also leaving you with a great responsibility. You are much more than the cafe's cook. Remember that. Terrence and Caitlin would definitely need both your foresight and strength. Please, help protect them both for me. As you wish, Mr. Stevens. Then Jack embraced him. It caught him completely by surprise. My sister would be thrilled to see how far you've come, Jack said as he picked some wildflowers. Wrapping them into two bouquets, he stepped out the door. As he did so, a blue light enveloped him, and Alistair recognized exactly what that was. Jack had used a Solomon Gate to travel. He hadn't destroyed them all. No wonder Jack had known about the boy, the waste, and the girl. With the Solomon Gate, he could travel nearly any place and any time. This also presented Mr. Alistair with one more question. Just how old is Jack Stevens? Jack stepped through the gate and into an old cemetery. He could see the cottage just outside the east gate, looking down at the grassy hills that led to Sims Divide. Smoke billowed from the chimney, and he took a deep breath. He loved the scent of pine and, oh, bacon cheddar potato soup. Mary was too kind. As he neared the east gate, he paused and knelt 
and placed one of the two bouquets in front of a very old tombstone that read, Alice Stevens, devoted wife of Wilford Stevens, mother of Drew, Drake, and Beatrice, beloved sister of Jack Stevens, May 12, 1349 to August 15, 1391. As he got up, he placed his hand on the cold stone and whispered, I'm home, sister. I'm done doing for now. As he exited the east gate, he looked down at the small batches of rosemary he had planted a few years back. Good, he thought. They had taken root. The sun set slowly behind him, sinking behind the stones and trees until only an orange glow illuminated the horizon. He pondered the time. Six hundred years. Had it been that long? Six hundred. He could hardly believe it himself. It had never been easy, working, watching, as his family grew up and grew old around him. But now, he could spend the last days with his wife Mary and watch over their very rambunctious grandson, Warren. Ah, Mr. Jack Stevens, you finally have a chance to retire to your cottage at Sims Divide. How very nice for you. And it's wonderful that you're helping to keep an eye on our young friend, Warren Stevens. Raise him right, Grandpa. We don't want him to become tentacle bait. And now the story shifts back once more to the young Jonah as we find out how his little side trip is going in Chapter 6, Rift. <laughs>